Welcome to the next episode on the pod of the podcast on negotiation. And today we have a very special guest with us, Andrea Schneider, someone I've been uh, admiring for many, many years already, someone I've been looking up to uh, for many, many years, uh, someone that is probably very well known in the negotiation community. Andrea is a professor of law at Cardozo School of Law, uh, is heading a research institute on conflict uh, resolution there, uh, is a, and a prolific author, accomplished uh, scientist, great professor. Andrea, it's great to have you with us. Happy to be here, Remy. Thanks for having me. Together with Andrea, we will talk about a super important topic, and that is um, uh, gender differences uh, in negotiation, the context of negotiation. And uh, we will uh, sketch a little bit uh, the dynamics in the, in the negotiation research, how it all started, uh, what has changed, and then we'll go into uh, very concrete recommendations that we can derive uh, out of that research for women and organizations they are uh, they are working for, working at. Yeah? All right, Andrea, let's... Uh, I remember reading in one of your papers that uh, that traditional research on, on gender uh, in negotiation is like... Uh, studying how to use a hammer to hit nails uh, where we want to where actually what we want to do is build a house yeah? uh, <laughs> did we get it all wrong and why did we get it all wrong well i, I think <laughs> i love that right we're trying to build this house of negotiation um you know i think one of the things it's always struck me that in negotiation we talk about having a toolbox uh, and, you know, in, in negotiation courses around the world, we talk about trying to equip our students with different ways of dealing with a situation, depending on context, depending on counterpart, what are the different skills you're going to need to bring to the table in order to be effective? Um, and one of the things that has always struck me is that um, we study assertiveness. Right? So we say all of these things about you need a screwdriver and a wrench and a hammer and a leveler and, you know, pick everything in your toolbox that you need. Um, but the negotiation research itself studies the hammer um, because it's easy to study. Right. We ask, do people negotiate? We ask what their opening offer is. Um, those are the things that are really easy to measure. They're the numbers and we look at it and it's scorable. And we say, okay, great, we've got it. And then we talk about whether it's gender differences or training differences or, right, there's all sorts of things, but we study what it takes to be more assertive. And we're not really paying attention to all of the other skills out there. Um, empathy, social intuition, relationship and rapport building, flexibility, trustworthiness, right? So the literature is full of all of these other elements and we know that they matter. But when it comes to our research on gender, we tend to be much more narrow and really focus on that hammer. And so a lot of the gender research that used to be out there um, was basically the equivalent of how to swing the hammer better, right? How to string it, swing it faster or harder or whatever, as opposed to telling any of us, you know, add a screwdriver, think about a wrench um, and finding ways to measure that. So I think that's really been one of the problems is we study what's easy to study in a lab, um, but we know that our work relationships are actually far more complicated they're repeat interactions. They're not a one-off with no relationship. Uh, and so how do we start to measure what happens over time in a workplace when you're building a relationship, when you're building trust? 
and we don't really research that as much. Thank you, Andrea, for these insights. Uh, so when we look at a broader spectrum of um, negotiation, uh, negotiation is a skill uh, and, um, you know, look beyond assertiveness. Uh, what are the aspects that women are particularly good at in addition uh, when it comes to those skills? Well, I mean, one of the interesting things is, and I would say that, first of all, when we talk about gender, right, it's a bell curve. And we don't know when you're sitting down to negotiate, right, you don't know where I am on any measure of assertiveness or empathy or creativity. And frankly, I don't know for you either, right? So we make these assumptions about gender because it's what we can see. It's easy. Um, but it might not be accurate, right? My negotiation style might come more from the fact that, uh, you know, I had New Yorker parents or that I was the firstborn and was told to be in charge of younger siblings or um, that I was, uh, you know, trained as a lawyer. And, you know, I think about three sons. I mean, if you were negotiating with my youngest son uh, and he was assertive, is it because he's a, you know, 21 year old mouthy college kid? Maybe, right? Is it because he's the child of two lawyers? So all he's heard is that, you know, maybe. Is it because he's the third born of three boys and they, you know, basically pounded on him until he was bigger, um, right? And that might make him assertive, right? Or, or any of those things. And we just don't know. So when we talk about, you know, what are the things that women measure better at? I, I want to say from the get-go, women are women, there's a bell curve. So yes, we're going to look at these studies from, you know, the the 90s, the 80s, even earlier, um, and recognize that, look, gender's not binary. Um, and we're all on these scales of masculine and feminine skill traits. And so I think for each of us to recognize what are the skills we have and what are the skills we want to work on. Um, having said that, what we know is that, for example, on empathy, right? We're trained so much on empathy and on listening. We know that listeners are better liked, they get more information, they form better relationships, right? All of those things that we measure in negotiation, guess what? Women are better listeners, right? They're whether socialized, right? And I'm not claiming it's biology. I think the socialization of ask about somebody, make them feel comfortable, right? Set the mood, set the tone. We know that women are better at that. Um, social intuition, right? A linked skill, right? All of that social intelligence, emotional intelligence that we read about from Daniel Goleman, uh, nonverbal communication, really important in negotiation and communication writ large. Um, again, there's study after study that shows that women are better able to read emotional cues, can set the mood better, understand smiles, read eye contact, establish eye contact, relationship, right? On and on and on where women are measured much better at all of those things to the point that we know conversely, for example, when you go through hostage negotiation training, that alpha police officers who've been very well trained at aggressive, assertive behavior and, and control need training on listening, on trust building, on rapport building. Um, and so whether that's a gender thing, whether that's an alpha, however, you know, the alpha personality, we know that that skill set is needed to expand and to make you more effective. Um, so we have that. Uh, I'd also say that in reputation, we 
again, know from studies that when you have a more integrative reputation, when you're viewed as more ethical, uh, that people are more willing to share information with you. Women are viewed as having higher ethical standards. Um, now, this can backfire, right? You might be more likely to get lied to. Um, if you violate ethical standards, you get more highly punished. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's not an overall plus in all things. Um, but in a negotiation, if you're coming in with a reputation of trustworthiness, uh, you're more likely to get an integrative agreement. Um, and so I think there are things that um, because we haven't been either putting them in the context of negotiation or because we haven't been studying them in this way, we don't tie these skills into negotiation skills that women are better at. Um, but there are a whole host of them in that way. And I think um, we kind of know that intuitively. Uh, and so what I've tried to do is kind of bring the research from other disciplines and apply it to negotiation to, to really link it that way. Mm -hmm. This ties uh, really nicely with uh, with a recent uh, with a recent presentation that uh, uh, Hannah Riley Bowles uh, held um, at Harvard's program on negotiations uh, uh, live event, uh, uh, which she said that basically, uh, first of all, gender is not a good predictor of negotiation behavior, and if it is, uh, it's um, a difference. Gender differences is at best situational, and there are two dimensions. Uh, that there are two dimensions in which. Uh, um, the impact of gender uh, can uh, be likely, more or less likely, and that is one ambiguity with respect to what is negotiable, who is negotiating, right. and what. Yeah. And the other dimension uh, that she mentioned was uh, the activation of the gender stereotype in the cultural context. Yeah. Um, how would you uh, would you say that it fits uh, into uh, what you've uh, uh, what you've found out about uh, gender differences in negotiation? Would you agree with this? I, absolutely. I think the the question on ambiguity is a really interesting one, and I, I love how Hannah's framed it. Um, what the studies in the early 2000s were all about women don't ask and lean in, yes. and seemingly blaming women for pay gap differences and things like that. And I've got to say, I think that's not correct in any way, um, that it's not that women don't negotiate. Uh, it's that... Um, in these, you know, first of all, some of those studies were done on young women. And frankly, let's hope we're not peaking in college, right? Women's confidence levels continue to go up throughout the work lives. Uh, we know that the rate of negotiation uh, is, is not gender determined. The moment that something, uh, it, you know, if you know every year you're going to be negotiating for your raise, if we write job descriptions where it's clear that the salary is negotiable. Um, if we, when we start revealing um, job history and salary history and making things more transparent, women negotiate uh, at the same rate um, and are effective. So I think when things are highly um, ambiguous, there, there are potentially hesitations and fears of, you know, am I stepping on toes? Am I going to make somebody uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Uh, and I and I think that, you know, for better or worse, and until another generation has been socialized that stepping on toes is OK. Right. You're going to you're going to have that. Um, but I think what the what the world can do, what companies can do, what you now see different states doing um, is forbidding certain questions about job history and what you were paid and also mandating that the salary range is posted. New York City just said all jobs have to be posted with a salary range. 
Um, and so we would expect that with these, what are really subtle cues, you're going to be able to eliminate some of those behavioral differences. Um, so I think it's really interesting work that Hannah has been doing on the ambiguity access. Um, and then the other one is you say that the situational to the extent that we see that gender is activated in one way or another. Um, this goes back to her and, and my and other people's early work on backlash and how do you minimize backlash. Um, again, the fear that somebody is going to be punishing you for violating a gender role, which views you as, as having to be more cooperative. Um, and I think one of the things that we learn is that when women, you know, we, we should first look at where have women, frankly, never had backlash. Right? Women on behalf of their families, right? You are supposed to be, in fact, assertive, if not aggressive on behalf of your family to the point that we know that women are viewed poorly when they're not protective, right? Like that is a role that you are justified. Um, when I've studied lawyers, um, there's no backlash for women being assertive on behalf of a client. We saw no differences in style and approach in levels of firmness. Um, those That's an appropriate behavior. So on behalf of others has always been permissible, right? And so part of this contextual situational thing is how do you for yourself and to cue the other, make sure that we're viewing it still in socially acceptable ways. I'm negotiating on behalf of my department, on behalf of my company, um, on behalf of my family, on behalf of my team, right? Whatever it is. Um, the other part that we know is uh, when you are high status or when your position excuses uh, the behavior. So in other words, like I tell my students when they're going in for their job salary, you know, for their salary negotiation, you know, as a lawyer, they're actually hired to negotiate. So to, to make that clear and say, look, I, I wanna negotiate and, and I hope that's okay. It, it is one of the skills you're hiring me for, right? Like you want me to be good at this. So right, cueing people to remember this is part of my job skill and therefore it's acceptable as opposed to viewing me through my gender lens, view me through my profession. Um, and again, there's been lab experiments on this as well. When somebody says that they are a you know, vice president of human resources who negotiates deals all the time, they're not gonna have a backlash. There's not gonna be a gender trigger there. Um, and I think part of this is just making people what do I want to say? Like complexifying. Uh, none of us are one dimensional. We are we are mm -hmm. a lot of things, right? We are uh, a researcher and a professor and a mom and a this and a that and a, and we are and should be allowed to be all of those things at once. Um, and so, really thinking carefully about what what are we valuing um, and how do we present ourselves in that way. Yes, and how do we? Uh, what kind of a framing do we do we sort of set for the negotiation situation for ourselves? Right. Right? Exactly. So how do we neutralize um, a gender being more or less salient uh, in a particular situation? By, for right. example, um, uh, the professional uh, professional focus on the professional negotiations, the professional trade, or exactly. um, <clears throat> or by deactivating gender uh, gender as uh, as a salient component. Right. Uh, Amazing. I recently, uh, Andrea, I recently witnessed um, an interesting discussion on on LinkedIn, one of the groups uh, uh, where um, lots of uh, 
angry men were were debating to what extent women need special negotiation training <laughs> or to what extent uh, negotiation principles are universal right so, so uh, having trained so many women uh, in, in your career uh, what is your take on this Right. And I would say I've trained equal numbers of men. Right. So, you know, law school has been a, a very even for a very long time. Um, so I'd say a couple things. One is I, I love that it's a lot of angry men debating what women need that that, you know, anytime we're framing it that way, I'm like, mm, tell me, tell me what I need. Thank you. As opposed to looking as to what you need. But um, Let's let's pause that. We'll we'll come back to that. Um, I mean, I, I think first the principles. What makes you an effective negotiator is regardless of gender, right? You're. We need to be sufficiently assertive so that we're asking for what we want, so that we present it in a way that is persuasive. We need to be asking questions and empathetic and listening. We need to build rapport and trust. We need to be flexible and find creative solutions, right? All of these things. Nobody's varying their advice based on gender. Having said that, there's two, at least two components of a negotiation. One is what's your own toolkit and what do you bring to the table? And the other is how it's received. And so I think a part of our advice um, and really what, what Hannah was talking about here is recognizing that even if we all show up with the same skills, the reception might be different depending on framing or expectations or assumptions. And some of that is changing over time. Some of that changes in pop culture, right? We now see ju women judges on television and presidents and politicians and, and right, it's it's not news anymore, um, you know, and, and even more so uh, in Europe that uh, this is gender, this is barrier breaking in any way, shape or form. And so the expectations um, and therefore the reception of women as negotiators, I think does change over time. Um, but the other piece of this, of course, is for uh, both men and women to recognize where they've been socialized and what their strengths are. And so again, statistically, just as we've looked at women can better read smiles or set a mood, right? Men are far more likely to be overconfident, to make mistakes, to take risks, uh, that are unwise. There's fun studies about testosterone making men really emotional in decision making. I love that. Um, and, and therefore taking risks as traitors that they shouldn't. Um, right? And so being aware now, maybe that applies to any given guy and maybe it doesn't. Right. But let's be aware of if this is the skill set that you need. Right. These are the tools in the toolbox. Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? Does it come from gender? Maybe. Does it come from other things? Maybe. And go ahead and work on those um, and recognize the strengths and weaknesses that you have. So mm -hmm. having so what I separate, I don't think men and women need to be trained differently in any, really they don't. Um, I think sometimes smaller groups are easier to train. It's more, people are more willing to discuss and be open Obviously, if you're in a group of like-minded people, sometimes that's actually a little easier. Um, but the substance of what I teach doesn't vary when I'm teaching mixed audiences, women-only audiences, or you know, a more male-dominated audience. Mm -hmm. So, Andrea, um, thank you so much for this, uh, for these insights on uh, how you uh, how you teach. But uh, sort of uh, when. Um, 
uh, when you ac accompany women on the path to negotiation mastery, yes, right. uh, uh, what do you walk them through? So I've heard that uh, uh, everybody needs basics, needs, needs to know the basics, right? The toolkit uh, you know, of, uh, of effective being an effective negotiator. Yes. Right. Um, then I heard uh, between the lines, you said, well, it has to be the negotiation, the path to mastery negotiation training has to be individualized because we are all different, have different deficiencies, right. different strengths and so on. Yes? Is there anything else that we need to... Uh, uh, that especially women or men, yes, I guess both genders need both, to uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody exactly need to um, uh, look for on the path to negotiation mastery beyond ba the basics and beyond individualized training to uh, you know strengthen the strengths and uh, neutralize the weaknesses. Right. I mean, I think part of this is also being aware. I mean, this is really the the individual path, but it's really being aware of yourself and um, you know recognizing if, if you're of, uh, if you've had a lot of experience in the workplace, for example, your experiences when you were uh, a junior associate or a young, you know, whatever it was, doctor, scientist, anything, um, may or may not be reflective of what the next generation of workers are going through. Um, and also to be aware of you know, does that create bias in unhelpful ways? Absolutely. Um, do do I see, frankly, women and men, um, but women who have been scarred by basically the crap that they went through um, in their early career to the point where, you know, they've adopted personality traits that might not have been theirs naturally, but was what they needed to survive 30 years ago and 40 years ago. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think the awareness, I, the awareness of how that might have impacted your behavior. So I started uh, today talking about, we don't know where people's negotiation skills come from or where their assumptions, even, you know, taking even a further step back, where do your assumptions about negotiation come from? Um, and recognizing if you've been out in the workplace for a long time, um, you've probably been damaged by it. <laughs> Right. That there are probably interactions that stay with you um, as life lessons that may or may not be that helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. And again, that kind of self-awareness is of, of, you know, what am I teaching or talking or, or bringing to the table now in terms of how I think people should interact? Um, that maybe is not applicable to the person sitting across the table from me. Right. That that's um, that I'm putting stuff on them that they don't mean, they don't know, they don't agree with, right? So I, again, I think it's this um, kind of pathway to self-awareness. What what are my skills? But also even what are my assumptions about, you know, every time I sit down with a boss, they're going to kind of, they're going to try to screw me. You know, that is really unhelpful, right? Mm -hmm. That you're to, to enter into a situation always assuming the worst. Um, and it may well have been based on years of really hard experience. Um, and yet this time around, can you leave those assumptions aside with a new boss or a new interaction or a new client, whatever it is, um, to try to treat this interaction in the, you know, starting off at a, in some ways at a level playing field. Mm -hmm. So you say you would say a self a self a self a self awareness and reflection probably coupled with reflection. So uh, if it is as it is, what do I need to do to yeah. uh, to heal it, to change it, to make it better? Yeah. 
Well, mm -hmm. and, and I think that really is, uh, you know, when we talk about learning negotiation, it really is one of those skills. It is a lifelong skill, right? We continue to improve, um, but the best way to improve is to reflect, right? What worked this time? What didn't go so well in that conversation? Could I have handled that differently? Should I have started from a different place? Um, right? I, I love those sayings of, you know, you don't know what chapter of somebody else's book you walked in on, right? So you're showing up, you don't know what's happened to them today, last week, wherever they're coming from, what are their assumptions about people in your perspective? Um, and so really trying to be open and aware um, and then self-reflective, I think is the thing that can really help us build our skills over the course of a lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. We really just wanna continue to grow and improve. Um, and so that means building on the strengths that you already have. If you're really good at preparation, keep up the good work, right? If you're really good at asking questions, go for it. Um, and what else can you add with that? I think yeah. is really the, the way that we keep on mastering the skills. Yeah, makes uh, makes sense. So coming back to gender, Andrea, <clears throat> We've noticed you, 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 we talked a little bit about uh, about uh, about our negotiation competition. We run uh, the negotiation challenge, or we've run it uh, for I don't know 16, 70 years, a uh, very long time. And we've noticed that uh, uh, that the, first of all, the profile of the participants um, has become significantly more um, uh, diverse in terms of gender, to the extent that we have probably more women uh, negotiators now than we. Uh, than we ever had had ever before, and uh, that's one thing. And that's also the case in the competition that we run for professionals. Yes, this year uh, in the fall, in this edition, in, in the fall, we had more women negotiators uh, uh, than we had men. Yeah? So that's one observation. The other observation is that it's typically women-dominated teams or diverse teams that end up winning this competition and I've, we've been talking a little bit about uh, about potential reasons uh, you know why this could be the case uh, um, do you see increased interest in among women in uh, becoming better negotiators over the last uh, few years well i think you know one of the best things that we can do is is frankly stop association stop associating negotiating or asking as a particular male skill or judging it in some way or another. Um, I don't think we're seeing it in the younger generation, so I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, and I think the more and more that we ourselves get comfortable with negotiation, the the, be you know, the better that is, the better that is for all of us. And so the fact that we're seeing these kind of sociological changes where there are more women ready to call themselves negotiators, ready to get out there. I mean, it could be because they know they need more practice, um, right? Fine and willing to go get it. Um, but it also could be the recognition that this is part of a life skill that everybody needs to be able to negotiate effectively. Um, and it, as I said, I think it also could be this um, disaggregating kind of negotiation, assertiveness has got to be yeah. a, a male thing. Um, and that is my guess. I mean, given the numbers, what you said of how dr the, the shift has really been um, dramatic. And I also, I mean, that's also actually really important. And so early studies showed that uh, it was much harder for women who did not view negotiation as their natural skill set to then go ahead um, 
and convince themselves to negotiate, right? That they they were holding themselves back in the whole women don't ask or lean in, right? That it was in their heads. It really had nothing to do with who was across with the table. The negotiation is really with themselves. So if we could all start viewing negotiation as part of the skill package that you are bringing to the table, this is part of your job, part of your role for the rest of your life, that's hugely valuable. Um, and we know that that's going to make you a more effective negotiator because at least you're not having that first, you know, somewhat paralyzing internal negotiation of, is this even part of who I am? Exactly. Do um, I want so to do that? In do I even want to do this? Right. Mm -hmm. um, one of, uh, actually, Linda Babcock, uh, who's the author of Women Don't Ask, uh, one of the stories I, I love, I actually don't know if it's in the book, but I know she's told me that she um, would regularly tell her negotiation class to go negotiate the price of gas. Like pull into a gas station and see if you can do that. Um, and the answer is always going to be no, right? There is never a gas station owner who's going to go out and change the price in the gas. I mean, that doesn't happen. Um, but what students learn is to get over themselves. Right? The mm. world doesn't end because somebody said no. It turns out they're going to throw in. They're like, well, but we'll give you a car wash or an oil change or whatever. Um, it just makes for an interesting conversation. And again, just getting people used to uh, negotiation, asking for things, communicating well is part of what everybody needs. Just yes. getting used Lifetime to skill, as you called it. Exactly. Is, uh... Uh, and Andrea, I would be very curious to think about uh, to 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 learn about um, your opinion on um, uh, your advice for for organizations. Yes. Uh, so what we've established so far is that uh, you know um, there are certain uh, parts of the negotiation skill uh, set spectrum that are more um, dominated by women, and there are certain parts which are which men are uh, better at. So what can organizations do? to um, get the most out of it? Well, I think one of the really interesting things is that we've had all of these leadership studies coming out of the pandemic. And you see that, um, I mean, there's one study that was pre-pandemic in terms of organizational leadership, uh, but we see repeatedly that organizations with women leaders were, you know, felt that they were uh, more communicative, more trustworthy, had better leadership skills overall. Uh, and I think, you know, this was all Harvard Business Review, um, 360 reviews of managers and things like that. And I think that that really was, um, you know, one of the one of the really interesting things coming out of pandemic was how effective uh, many of these, both women political leaders, governors, um, prime ministers, as well as company leaders. Um, I hope that is a sign for leadership going forward that not only is this a lesson for the crisis, um, but this is, a this is a lesson past the crisis, that people who consult with their team, people who communicate transparently about what's going on, um, people who listen, people who come across as caring. It doesn't mean you're giving away the farm. It doesn't mean you're not firm. It doesn't mean, right, it's not at the expense of other skills. It's an and that you are doing both of these things, if not, you know, five of these things all at once. Um, and so my advice for companies is really thinking about the incentives and the rewards that you've set up. Um, because really what you want are these leaders that have, uh, you know, 360, uh, a skill set that that is really, uh, you know, many tools in the toolbox, as it were. Um, and yet, if we're only rewarding leaders who talk confidently, 
whether or not there's competence behind it. Um, that's a problem. If we are only rewarding, uh, you know, if deception is rewarded, if selfishness is rewarded, well, you're going to get what you've asked for. Um, and so for companies, I think thinking about, um, you know, what's the reward structure going up the food chain? Um, what are the criteria by which people get promoted? Um, how do we set communication lines and and um, I was talking to someone last week who operates a lot of joint ventures. Uh, and, you know, for her communication team, the rule was, you know, there will be no snarky emails. If there is a problem, you pick up the phone and you ask. And you mm -hmm. start this with curiosity. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, yes, that's a woman who's doing that. But whether that was a man or a woman, the moment you start rewarding curiosity and openness, versus blame and snarkiness, right? That is a better company that's going to have more open communication. Um, and yes, at least historically is the things, these are the things that women have been better at. Um, but the most effective leaders are men or women are going to bring that skill set to bear. And so really it's for, you know, every book out there on leadership talks about uh, ethical leadership, trustworthy leadership, transparency. Um, these are the skills that are taught at business schools all over the place. And companies should be, again, putting their money where their mouth is, reward and promote based on the value system that you want to see. Yes, uh, so it's uh, amazing how uh, how aligned this uh, this is with what Hannah Riley Bolson mentioned. You know, reducing right. uh, reducing uh, the ambiguity of the context, making clear yep. that these rules are known, and rewarding uh, sticking to the, to those rules, and at yep. the same time deactivating de uh, deactivating. Uh, gender stereotypes in the context. Yes, uh, uh, that's awesome. My last question, uh, Andrea. Thank you so much uh, for your patience. Uh, my last question today um, is my standard question, which refers to uh, those negotiators uh, who deserve to be, in your eyes, uh, called great negotiators. Yeah? Uh, so, who is it, Andrea, for you? So the um, the person who's always who's been in my brain for years and years is Madeline Albright, uh, who was the um, first female secretary of state for the U.S. Uh, and I actually blogged about this several years ago um, when Tony Blinken was appointed secretary of state uh, under Biden, um, that that actually was the first white male for the United States in years, right? That we had had Colin Powell and Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice, right? We hadn't been there, like, you know, as far as my kids were concerned, secretary of state was a job for a woman. Um, and so, you know, you have a generation of, I hope, um, U.S. kids raised on the idea that the highest level of diplomatic negotiations are best conducted, um, if not only conducted, but are, are, but are conducted by women. And, and Madeleine Albright had, uh, you know, kind of amazing stories and uh, was a, a fierce negotiator uh, on behalf of the United States. I also think that there have been women leaders uh, around the world in, in the last decade um, who I think when you get down to their skill set, really exemplify kind of amazing negotiators. And so um, Angela Merkel uh, in her kind of long, you know, this is someone who really looked at the long term. And, um, you know, I love that there's a there's a verb in German created after her to, you know, think strategically and take your time and, you know, to Merklin on something. 
uh, is really to, to pause and be careful. Uh, and I mean, so smart and thoughtful. And, and I think that's just an incredible role model. Um, and at the, the, not the opposite side, but on another axis of negotiation skills, you know, you have a world leader like Jacinda Ardern out of New Zealand, who is all about leading with empathy and care. Uh, and whether it was in response to COVID or in response to a terrorist attack, uh, this is someone who, who the population truly believed that she understood them and she was with them. Um, and that gives you remarkable power uh, and negotiation skills for dealing with the, you know, it's, it's not easy to negotiate with an entire country to be locked down and to, you know, nobody was in or out of New Zealand for a while. Uh, I mean, that's a that's a serious negotiation and she could pull it off because of how she had been conducting herself throughout um and so i think you know the lovely thing for me also is that there are enough different women leaders outstanding negotiators that we don't need to have one model right? there are a lot of women who are out there who are really good communicators really good negotiators uh, and um, just as there are many men, uh, and we should all be able to find our role models uh, with someone who looks like us um, so that we can all aspire to, to have that skill set. Uh, but I think there are plenty of, plenty of good examples out there. Andrea, thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom, your experience with our, uh, with our viewers. Um, and um, I think this has been a super inspiring. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting so many uh, applications from women-dominated teams for our competitions now. Me too. Uh, women are great <laughs> negotiators, yes? And there's absolutely no reason to hold back, right? No. Uh, just uh, enter the competition, uh, get some uh, self-reassurance, uh, become better negotiators, because, because this world, our world, needs women leader who lead, uh, who, 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 leaders who lead with empathy. Just like the examples that you've mentioned. Andrea, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Until the next time on the podcast on negotiation. Thank you. Thank you.